if you would, join me again in a word of prayer. I'd just like God to ask, ask God to help me as I preach. So, Father, I just ask for an anointing to be able to deliver your word the way that you want me to deliver it. I pray for the ears and the hearts of those that listen, that they can receive uh, life from you uh, as transferred by the spirit that is in me. God, I just pray that over myself and over the people listening this morning. And we just thank you again for being part of the family of God. So I'm going to go back to the beginning. We're going to talk about uh, God. I'm going to talk a little bit about God, who he is, what he does. I'm going to talk about creation, the way that he um, creates and makes And then we're going to relate that to mankind, because uh, if you don't get anything else out of this message this morning, please get this, that everyone in this room was made by God for himself. He made you for him. Do not forget that. You are precious to God, every one of us. There isn't anybody that's more precious than anybody else. You're all very precious to God. And the unique thing about the way that God created us is he made us with his nature. We have his likeness in us. So we're very special. The angels weren't made that way. All of the animals weren't made that way. And neither were all of the plants. Only us. We were the only ones that God said what? What did he say about us when he created us? Well, he said we were good, but he said, let us make man in our image. We are made in the image and the likeness of God. What a privilege. And I think a lot of times uh, we forget that. We forget that we are special, and God made us special. And God, which we're going to see today, God wants to have a relationship with us. Every one of us. He wants to be intimate with us. He wants to be close with us. And he wants to show us himself. Make himself known to us. And sometimes we we fight with that, or we think that, you know, I'm not good enough, you know, but Jesus took care of all that. And I believe mankind actually, uh, in the Garden of Eden before he sinned, we had a perfect relationship with God. We were in relationship with him. God, it said in, uh, I think it's, I don't know, Genesis 3 someplace, where it, after they had sinned, it said God came in and was walking around in the cool of the day, in the evening. And he was looking for Adam and Eve. And he evidently, he did that all the time. Came in and walked with them, talked with them. They had a relationship with him. And it's interesting because um, man is the one who pulled out of the relationship with God. It was not God. God did not do that. We did. We chose to do that. So anyway, let's, let's start. Uh, and if you guys want to, go to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. 
It's going to be a little while before I get there, so you have plenty of time. I want to talk just a little bit about God, some of its characteristics. You know, we talk about God. Well, God is self-sufficient. What do I mean by that? Well, he doesn't need anything to exist. God just exists. He always has been, always is, and always will be. And God just is there. Don't, you know, it doesn't ever explain where God came from. I mean, it's just, he's there. He's self-sufficient. And God is also infinite. What does that mean? Well, it means that he's limitless. He's endless as far as time and space go. They're, they really don't have anything to do with him. Uh, he's not subject to any limitations like we are. Uh, and he was always alive and always will be alive. Another thing about God, there's three points I'm going to bring out here. He's omnis. These are big words. If I mispronounce them, I'm sorry. He's omniscient, which means he knows all. Okay? God is also omnipresent. What, does anybody know what that means? He's everywhere. Yeah, he's everywhere. Another thing about God is they say he's omnipotent. What does that mean? All-powerful. Yeah, there's basically nothing God could do. And, you know, any, and this is an interesting thing when you think about it. Are there limitations on God? Well, think about this now. There are some limitations on God, but who put those on God? God did himself. What's one of them? Anybody heard of free will? Yeah, that's a limitation that God will never override. He gave mankind a free will. And he won't override that. So is that a limitation on God? Well, when you look at it, yeah, it is. But see, all the limitations that are on God, God put them on himself. And you know, another interesting fact about our walk with God. For some reason, God chose to reach the world and touch the world through us. He wants to use us. Everyone in this room, he wants to use in different capacities to touch the city of Ephrata, to touch Grant County, to touch the state of Washington. God wants to use us. Doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to go to school to be able to be used by God, uh, a Bible college. You don't have to really even know much of the Bible. Because we all have a thing called a testimony. A testimony. What is that? That's a story of what God has done in our lives. And as you tell that to people, you know what? It can change their lives. So, yeah, all of us can be used by God. But anyway, I wanted to talk about a desire that God has. You know, it's funny because when you say that, sometimes people get uncomfortable. Well, God doesn't need anything. You know, God, God can't have a desire. Well, yeah, God does have a desire. And, you know, if we look at Adam, did Adam have a desire in the Garden of Eden? Before he sinned? Think about this. 
Now, he, God, you know, after he made Adam and stuff, he brought all of the animals, he made the animals and stuff, and what did he do with all those animals? He brought them before Adam to be named, right? And during that time, he made a statement. He said, uh, you know, after Adam named all the animals, he said, there's, God said, you know, there wasn't a companion comparable to Adam, one that met Adam's needs. And so Adam had a, God saw that Adam had a desire for a relationship. And of course, that was with Eve, who he created. And you know, the unique thing about that desire that Adam had, it was before the fall. So it was a pure, it was pure. The desire that he had was pure. Well, you know, I thought about that. How did God know that Adam had that desire? I believe it's because God has that same desire. God has a desire for relationship. And of course, that will be, which we're going to look at it in Revelations 21, I think it is, the bride that finally comes down with the new Jerusalem. That is the fulfillment of literally what God wanted in the Garden of Eden. And of course, man and Satan kind of messed that up. But that's what the whole redemption story is about. It's about the restoration of the relationship that we had with God in the Garden of Eden. That's what it's all about. God wants to restore that. God desires to have a relationship with us. And do you know who limits that relationship? We do. We do. And uh, anyway, let's look at uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Hopefully I can read this. I got a little read uh, Bible with little letters in it this morning. <laughs> then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God said, uh, uh, God blessed them. God said, go be fruitful, multiply, all that stuff. So God, and it's interesting because in the Hebrew, let me uh, look up my notes on this because this is uh, above my pay grade. It's something kind of fancy. But it says uh, the word image in Hebrew is the Hebrew word salem, and it means to carve or to cut. And it is, and this is the unique thing about that word. It is always coupled with the Hebrew word demuth, which translated is likeness or to be like. So literally, where it says that God said, let us make man in our image, it's that God carved or cut us out of his likeness or nature. And these words are always go together. So we are a very unique being the way we were made. 
And if you look at the way we were made, we were first made, I believe, as a spiritual being. And then we were made out of the dust of the earth. And that's our physical body. And it's always uh, unique because we see in the creation story that as things, God did both, he created and he made. When he creates stuff, what does he do? He just speaks it forth. He creates it out of nothing. But when he makes something, he makes it out of something. It's sustained by that and it returns to that. It's like the plants. They're made from the earth. They are sustained by the earth, and then they return to the earth. And it's the same thing with our spiritual nature that is made or cut out of the image of God. It comes from God. It should be sustained by God. And then where will our spirits return? Back to God. So that's the way it should be. Of course, when we messed up in the Garden of Eden when mankind did, then it kind of, we don't have the sustainability that we should have from God. In fact, we didn't even have, we lost the Spirit of God living inside us, right? That's how we died in the Garden of Eden. You remember what God said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll die, you'll surely die. Well, did they die? Yes, they did. Mankind died spiritually. Physically, we, they continued to live. I think Adam lived almost a thousand years. But spiritually, they were dead. And we didn't get that till we began after the sacrifice of Jesus or God himself on the cross who paid for our sins. Then we had the ability to have the spirit of God live inside us again. We were restored back. And that's what we are. If you've been born again, you have the Spirit of God living inside you. And that's the presence of God that we should always live uh, you know, in that. that. I do not believe that if we go out here today and do something that's contrary to the law of God, if you've been born again, if you have the Spirit of God living inside you, I do not believe that if you make a mistake, that that's going to drive the Spirit of God out of you. Why do I believe that? Does anybody know? How many, what does it say in Colossians? How many of our sins are covered? All of our sins. You know, there's a lot of uh, controversy about that. But I believe that all of our sins are taken care of. So we... As Christians, we spend a lot of time worrying about whether or not we're good enough to God, don't we? Do any of you do that? I've done that. I'm getting better at it, thank God. You know, I, I, it's freeing to realize I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm good enough for God. If we come to the place where we know that we are good enough, it sets us free. And I really believe God wants everybody in this room to begin walking that way, knowing that I am the righteousness of Christ, 
are in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Excuse me, I quoted that wrong. And that is a freeing deal. And that's part of being in relationship with God. Oh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the presence of God. You know, there's, there's many scriptures. I was going to read a bunch of scriptures about how God, uh, I mean, they're all through the Bible. There's a theme all through the Bible. It says, like Jeremiah 11:4, so you shall be my people and I will be your God. Jeremiah 24, 7, I will give uh, you a heart to know me and they will be my people and I will be their God. Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant I will make with them. I will put my laws on your hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Ezekiel 11, 19 through 20, I will give them a new heart then they will be my people, and I will be their God. Ezekiel 36, 27, and 28, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live in the land I gave you, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. I, uh, Ze Zechariah 8, 8, I will bring them back, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. 2 Corinthians 6, 16, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Hebrews 8.10, this is the covenant I will make. I will put my laws in, the, in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then in Revelations 21.3, there's more to it than what I've got here. It says, I saw New Jerusalem coming down like a bride, and the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will be their God, and they will be his people, and God himself shall live among them. I mean, those are all, and it's all through the Bible. Those are just a few. But God's desire is to be with his people. So how does he do that? Let's get practical here. What's, what's the bottom line? The bottom line is that God wants to live inside us, and he wants us to feel his presence. He wants us to feel his presence. Does anybody know what that means? You ever heard the term, the manifest presence of God? Yeah, we're, we're, we'll, we'll, look at, we'll look at that. We're going to look at some of the presences, presence of God, okay? Uh, that's another, some of the characteristics of God is his presence. Anybody heard of the term, the omnipresence of God? That's a, like we talked about. That's where God's everywhere. What about the inner presence of God? That's where he's living inside us, right? By the Holy Spirit. Have any of you felt like the Holy Spirit's inside you? You ever hear that still small voice saying, oh, don't do this, walk this way. Uh, you know, maybe call this guy, go see this guy. Remember years ago, I was just walking along, being a young Christian guy, and God said, go see these people. I went up on the hill right here in Ephrata. Went up the hill, knocked on the door. I looked at him. I said, uh, God, you know, I was nuts back in those days. <laughs> I said, God told me to come up here and talk to you. I mean, we don't do that anymore, do we? We're too sophisticated. But I came in. 
Those people got saved. Uh, tremendous deal. I know all of us, a lot of us in this room have had experiences like that. My question is, why don't we still have them? Because sometimes we know too much. You know, we're afraid we're going to offend somebody. But I know, uh, who was it I was talking to? Craig. I don't see him in here. But he uh, told me about, he tells me stuff like this all the time. He's still doing it. You know, and I don't know why more of us aren't doing that. But I really believe that that is just feeling the, the inner presence of God. Now, the manifest presence, that's something that comes and goes. We can walk away from the manifest presence of God. We can't ever get out of the omnipresence because God's always there. He's everywhere. The inner presence, I believe God is always with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That's what he said. So his presence is always with us, inside us, if we've been born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, that's where you have to begin to walk with God. It's a beginning point. You've got to be born again. If you haven't been born again, we're going to deal with that at the end of this service, and hopefully you'll get that taken care of. But being born again means just that, that God's Spirit is again living inside us, just like it was in the Garden of Eden. And that's what God, we need that. Now, the manifest presence, that's something a little different. An example of the manifest presence is uh, Exodus 3. I think it's chapter, uh, yeah, Exodus 3, it's verses 1, I think, through about 7. And that's where Moses saw the burning bush. Now, there's a manifest presence of God, right? A burning bush. Didn't burn up. and Eventually, it talked to him and stuff. So is that the manifest presence of God? Yeah, it is. <laughs> that would, uh, you know, shake you right down to your boots, wouldn't it? Another example that I think sometimes we forget about is the what happened to the apostles or the disciples. It wasn't just the apostles. In Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, I think it is, where the Holy Spirit came in like a rushing mighty wind, and it set, it said there were tongues of fire that set on the heads of the people. And, you know, of course, they all got baptized. It says they all got baptized in the Holy Spirit, all 120 of them. And they all spoke in tongues. And, uh, but that was a manifest presence of God. That was something that, you know, is above and beyond our normal presence that we have with God. And I really believe that the time that we live in right now, this day, in this country, in this city, God wants to, more of his manifest presence to be flowing out of us. Why? Because I believe that is what made it possible for the apostles to turn the world upside down because they walked with the manifest presence of God. Now, the big question is, how do we get that? Do we go down to the Safeway store and buy it? Or do we come to church and pay our tithes and listen to a message like this? I mean, how do we get the manifest presence of God? Pretty simple question, isn't it? 
but it's kind of hard to walk into that. It takes a little bit of discipline. We're going to talk about a little bit of that. And, you know, I really believe that you can come to church, you can read your Bible, even pray, and still not be really walking in the manifest presence of God. I mean, you know, it's, I don't know if any of you have looked at your walk with God here lately and thought, you know, it's kind of dry. It's kind of dry. Well, I'm telling you, I really believe God wants to shake his people. He wants to stir up those gifts that are inside of us. You know, everyone in this room has different gifts and callings that God wants you to walk into, that God wants to use you to touch people. You know, there's, they throw this term around a lot, a sphere of influence. Everybody in this room has different sphere of influence. And those are the people that we come in contact with on a daily basis. There's people that only you will meet. Only you can minister the life of Christ to. And, uh, you know, I really believe that we need to start getting excited about that. And um, is this good or are you guys? Okay. Just... Uh, <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I lost my train of thought. That's what happens when you're my age, you know. So, But anyway, uh, and a lot of that is, uh, you know, I really believe that we need to make an actual choice and an actual decision in our lives daily to seek God. To seek God. Because what did God say about seeking him? Anybody want to answer that? Specific answer. He said, seek and you shall find. Ask and it shall be given. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. And I know you've heard this because it's preached in zillions of sermons. There is... Uh, it carries a connotation in the Greek that it's to keep on seeking, keep on knocking, and keep on asking. It's a continuous thing. We don't just do it one time. We do it again and again and again. And if you seek him, you shall be found by him. He will reveal himself to you. He doesn't want to hide himself from us. He wants us to know him. He wants his manifest presence to be with us and on us. And I'm telling you what, there is nothing scarier than to do things in the flesh in the name of Christ because they are so fruitless they, and so empty. But when you get up and you feel the annoying and you feel that God's on you, there's nothing more exciting. Isn't that the case when you lead worship and, or when you preach, right? I mean, there's, there, it, you get excited. And I'm excited right now. I may not look like it, but I am. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, uh, I'm going to 
throw out some scriptures here on seeking God. Of course, the one is uh, Matthew 6.33. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And that's, you know, a little bit more than just spiritual stuff. And then, of course, Matthew 7, 7, which I already quoted. Ask and you shall be given, seek and you shall find. Another one is Isaiah 55, 6 through 7. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And there's, you know, a whole bunch more to that scripture. But, you know, there, uh, we need to seek the Lord. Another one is Second Chronicles 15, 2b. And then, you know, there's another real good one in Second Chronicles where it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, I will heal their land. But this is a little different. This, is, this one says, and this is the second part of that verse, it says, the Lord is with you when you are with him. He will let you find him if you seek him. Isn't that good? God wants to show himself to us. And I'm telling you what, there's, it's just so exciting to see God working with you. See the power of God in your life. Proverbs uh, 8.17, those who seek me diligently find me. So, you know, we've got to, we need to get diligent in our seeking of God. Um, we must believe, this is Hebrews 11.6, real famous verse, we must believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. The whole verse is basically says that, you know, we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then, of course, Revelations 21. Uh, I want to close with that. And... A lot of you are probably very familiar with this verse. This is uh, the first part of um, where Jesus is talking to the seven churches. This is the first church. This is the church of Ephesus. And uh, let me see if I can find that. I had to bring a new Bible today because my Bible, my other one, uh, I thought I was going to be in uh, Galatians and the first few pages aren't in my Bible, that old Bible I have. They, they've fallen out. So, Okay, so this is, and here's what it says. And it says, Hello? There it goes. I got it. Sorry, guys. It says, uh, let's see, where are we at? Revelation 3. Into the, uh, no, no. Revelations. Did I say 3? I meant Revelations 2. He says, uh, and to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, says he who holds the seven stars, in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot 
cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So that sounds like they got a pretty good relationship with Jesus, right? Well, I'd say it sounds pretty good, but listen, listen to verse 4. It says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come and quickly remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And then in verse 7, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Hello? Whoa! Uh, anyway, so here's a group of people that, I mean, they're doing a lot of things right, right? But he says, you've lost your first love. What does that mean to some of you? Test, test. Oh, that one's got reverb, is it, or what? Uh, anyway, uh, so here's a group of people that they're doing a lot of things right, correct? But Jesus said, you know, you've lost your first love. Does anybody want to comment on what that is? What's, what's the first love, the attitude of first love? Yeah, there, there, there is an, ex do you guys remember when you were first met your wife? wife or husband, there was that excitement, wasn't there, of that first love. I mean, you wanted to tell everything, everybody about it. You wanted to spend a lot of time with Pete in the beginning, right? I hope it's still that way. <laughs> but, uh, and, and there's an attitude of first love. You know, we will go the extra mile to do things uh, for our wives when we first met them. I remember my wife uh, had a car that needed a, I don't know, it was a clutch or something. I didn't even have a place to work on it. And it was in the wintertime. I was out in the snow on the frozen ground, pulling the transmission, putting a clutch in and all that. Yeah, that's the attitude of first love. But where does that go in our relationship with Jesus? You know, we need to have that restored. We need to uh, kind of get that again, where we're going to do that, go that extra mile, do the extra things, uh, be bold. I mean, uh, and if we'll do that, it's, Jesus says we will eat from the tree of life. Do you know what the tree of life is? Somebody want to throw that out? Well, it's eternal life, but it's Jesus. Jesus literally is the tree of life, right? 
when you think about it, he's basically saying, you know, if you'll do that, if you walk in that attitude of first love, you'll experience all of me, everything. And, you know, I don't, I'm not saying this to, you know, make us feel bad that, oh, geez, I'm not doing enough. I'm just sharing what I believe God is calling to his people. Come to me. Come to me. That's what he does. He calls out. He says, come. You who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus just wants us to come to him. Just pour our hearts out to him. And um, I'd like you to join me in prayer. I just want to lead us in prayer, and then I'm going to close with another prayer. But if you guys would uh, just open your hearts, and I'm going to just ask God to restore that attitude of first love to us. So if you join me, Father, I want to come before you now and I just pray that you would restore within all of the hearts of everyone that is here today listening to me and even those online that uh, you would stir up that attitude of first love, that desire that we had when we first met you and actually first met our spouses, that that excitement and all that stuff that there's nothing that we wouldn't do for you. Lord God, I just pray that you would stir that up within us again. Just a hunger for you like we've never known. I just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would pour out upon us a special anointing for the hunger of the hunger for God. Just stir that up. And God, I just pray that you would breathe by your Holy Spirit like you breathed within us originally when you created us, the breath of life, that you would breathe on the gifts and the calling in our lives and you would reignite those fires of the Holy Spirit within us, Lord God. I just pray for a special new anointing on this church, on this city, on this county, and on this state. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be poured out and just re-energize us to truly walk with you the way that you desire to walk with us. I just pray that over us in Jesus' name. And just keep your eyes closed. If there's anybody here who does not know Jesus in a personal way, I ask you to raise your hand because I want to pray a special prayer over you. Anybody? Okay, so with that, Lord, we just want to thank you uh, again for today. We thank you for the privilege of being created in the way that you created us. We thank you for that, and God, we just can't thank you enough for having called us, touched our lives, and drew us close to you. I just thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said...